Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zacharyetta Meisenheimer. And we are Cock a Hoop. MLS is back, baby. Hashtag. And not only that, the white caps are top of the table. Joint top, not top and goal difference. Who cares? They're joint top. They're undefeated in 2021. This is the year. Start the parade. No one's going to be able to go on it because of how bad COVID is here. But it's going to be exciting anyway. What a start to the season. It's been a great weekend all, all round, in fact. I've thoroughly enjoyed the, the matches. There's been some great goals. There's been some great games. And to cap it all off with a a gutsy, a brave, a spirited Whitecaps win, I, I think has just been fantastic. How have you enjoyed the, this weekend, guys? Well, the, uh, this was my first MLS game I watched this weekend, so it was pretty good. Um, I, I, there was just, I didn't want to watch anything else. I thought I'd just start the season with a Whitecaps game. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. They did exactly what they needed to do. You're right. They were, I don't want to say depleted because they're, they're really not depleted. They're just waiting for people to show up, really. Uh, but it was a very, uh, the funny thing was, it was a, uh, probably uh, the, not the strongest Whitecaps team against the, the strongest Portland team, but a tired Portland team because they were playing on Tuesday and unchanged from Tuesday as well. Yeah. What about yourself, Zach? How have you enjoyed this weekend? How did you enjoy this game? Yeah, I mean, I think overall it's a good beginning of the season for MLS. Uh, I've watched all the games, or at least the highlights of all the games. I watched some of the, the games in full and some of them on the highlights of them. Kind of like last August or whenever it was when MLS was back happened. Um, he reminded of the of the of how far the game has come in North America, but mm. also how far it still has to go. Uh, um, again, just been watching a lot of European football. And, and so... Uh, yeah. It's, it, 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 it's not fair to compare it, though, because, I mean, those, those guys are... They're in Europe for a reason, and they're earning fortunes for a reason. And if... I mean, MLS has done well with, with moving guys to, to Europe the, the last couple of years. Is the league never tired of telling us in the 
the last few months. But yeah, and Garber's like Garber's now setting prices for players. Apparently. <laughs> yes, apparently. I was um, quite surprised by that on it on his call this week. Yeah, but, but it, no, I mean, I mean, no, I think fun. it's overall. I think it's a good weekend for the league because it's back. There were some spectacular goals. There were some real duds of matches also, uh, but there were at least a, co- a couple that were that were good enough that. Um, uh, I think help make it meaningful. I think, the, uh, I mean, other than, you know, if you're around the league and you're watching your 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 local club or the club you you support, um, th- aside from that, there were still some other standout matches from the weekend, including I think the Miami LAFC game. I think was a good one, biggest game uh, of the weekend. Yeah. I think I think um, it was a bit. The scoreline's a bit misleading if you if you go back and, and watch the game. The the Seattle Minnesota game, I think, is was a yeah. game to watch with a lot of quality and a lot of not not great for Steve and my tip for the MLS West in that one, but it's early days. It's early, yeah. man. And there were there were a couple others that were. I mean, the Montreal Toronto game was was intriguing for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, uh, so yeah, all, all in all, I think it was a good weekend for the league. Most most importantly, locally, uh, MDS and the players will be uh, ecstatic at, at getting the three points and. And starting their camp, their campaign off on on the front foot, locally all the way in uh, Real Salt Lake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're building a fortress down there in Rio Tinto. Fortress Salt Lake. They're not going to want to come back. Yeah, I, I if they're going to like win all the games there, keep them there. I'm fine. Did did it, was it awkward? I mean, I, I believe him. Like I believe his. The, I believe the heart. Like, but it's also a little bit awkward when MDS in the post game press conference says, "I don't know if you're going to include this or not, but no spoil." But he says, uh, hang on, no one has asked me for an opening statement. Yes. I, I want to give an opening statement. My opening statement is, this was for the fans. All the people who couldn't be here with us, this is for you. Um, it felt, you know, both true, because I know MDS, but it also felt a little bit of a good PR move. Well, they usually do ask him for an opening statement. So I, I, that was strange. I think there was, there was a lot of people on this call and there's a lot of folk wanting to ask questions. But, but we'll get into a lot of that. But for, for anybody that watched our live YouTube watch along on Sunday night. Thank you so much. It's been really good numbers in that. So initially we were going to bring that out as a podcast, but then chatting to Steve made a good point. You lose something if you're not watching the pictures and our reactions live and everything like that. So we're going to just keep the live stuff as live stuff. So we decided to to do a post-game show after it as well, because we just love talking to each other so much. So, Check that out on YouTube. You can watch our reactions, what we thought about the game. So what we'll do for this, we'll talk about the, the main bits. We'll bring you some post-game audio. We'll talk a little bit about some of the MLS stuff with a bit of audio. And then I've got a couple of interviews that I'm going to bring you later in the show as well. So uh, we'll do a quick summary of the game. We'll, we'll try and recap the game in, in, in five minutes. Let, let's go for that. The, the first half, it felt that Portland were like in the ascendancy with a stronger team and then when we looked at the halftime stats Whitecaps had the better possession both teams had the same number of shots and it the, the stats didn't feel like it really told the picture of how I felt that that first half played out it Whitecaps started strong in the opening minutes and I think they maybe learned something from the way that Montreal attacked Toronto in the opening minutes a team that had been playing midweek that might be a little bit leggy at times, and they were really on the front foot. And the Whitecaps 
took over for, for the first couple of minutes, but then Portland got into the game. The Whitecaps seemed to be playing a little bit deep. There was a few miscommunications at the back. But on the whole, Portland didn't really capitalise on it. They they were hitting, like, overhitting passes, overhitting set pieces. And although there's a few scares, ball crashed off the bar, a couple of big saves by Max Cripo, on the whole, the, the Whitecaps kind of dealt with things pretty good, but you felt it was maybe only a matter, or I felt it was only maybe a matter of time before Portland took the lead. I felt that uh, this is one of those cases where the stats didn't meet the eye test. Cause I agree with you, Michael, like uh, as much as the stats uh, pre- presented the matches being fairly balanced, it felt like um, the chances that uh, the chances and half chances that the Portland was, were cre- was creating or, or had created in the first half were, were better than the white caps. Like, yeah, they had done some good pressuring and they dealt with some, they dealt with stuff pretty well, it, but it felt like, to me, Portland was in the ascendancy. Yeah, I, I think the Portland's chances were a little bit more dangerous. I think Vancouver did well in, in in building up the play in order to create chances. They just couldn't do anything around the, uh, you know, the the box and everything like that. But they were able to get chances where they created corners, and uh, that was the part where they had the most of their chances. The uh, Portland. They had a lot of set pieces, and, and the thing is, they were able to counter a lot off those corners that the Whitecaps had, where they weren't able to really handle or control the ball once it was in the box, and Portland was able to pick it up and move it up the field. I think that's where the danger came in. I, I think you're right that the, the probably the best chance was the one that went off the bar. Um, that was their best chance of the game of the first half, and but I think I don't think it was that uneven, but I, I do think Portland had the better chances. I mean, we talked about it on the on the live show that I I felt Whitecaps needed to come out strong early in the second half and get an early goal or get the go-ahead goal. It did feel that if Portland took the lead, I don't think the Whitecaps were going to be coming back. I didn't fancy their chances of, of being under wave after wave of pressure. That's how I saw Portland play in the second half. And in spells, they did, but it was only after that the Whitecaps took the lead. So, I mean, let, let's look at the goal. Lucas Cavallini came into this game in great form. Six games and six goals in his last three games. Couple for Canada, few for the Whitecaps, looking good in, in pre-season, as he was last year. And then, of course, he didn't really get the chance to shine too much last season before he got curtailed. Hit the ground flying. It was a it was a great header. We were having a little bit of debate about it before we we started recording. Um, we talked a little bit about it on the live show. I think there was a foul by by Jake Nerwinski. I think he was holding Mbala. Wasn't called. Wasn't reviewed by VAR. That's one aspect of it. But the header by Cavallini left unmarked to just rise and what a powerful header of the ball. It's felt a long time since we have had a striker in Vancouver that is as good in the air as Cavallini has showed of late. Yeah, I think the last, uh, well, it was a striker, but the last guy that was good in the air was Kendall Waston. Um, that, you know, you you had that danger of, of the set piece. Uh, um, I, I I think it was a great header. I thought it was Baldissimo. It was actually Christian Gutierrez who, who sent the corner in. Uh, it was an in-swinger. Uh, but Cavallini met it well. The only thing that I will say about the potential foul is that if you 
prove that it was that uh, the Portland player was the one covering Cavallini, then you can get away with this calling it a foul. The problem there is that if it was, I've seen so many times where players are holding on to each other when they're marking each other. We don't know if they were going to be able to say that, yes, it was, uh, you said it was Imbala or something like that, or what was the player's name? Um, if he was the one covering or matching uh, Cavallini and they show that, but the thing is they were so bunched together at the post, it's hard to tell who was covering who at that point. So you could just say that two people were just kind of hanging on to each other. So, so here's the thing. It doesn't matter who's marking who, Steve. It's about impeding someone and like interfering with them and, and the physical contact. But I see that all the time in the box. Right. All the but time. The, and it never gets called. Right. But I think I think the way that Jake did it on that play and the way that he talked about it in the post-game press conference mm. about how he was trying to do it on another play will be something that um, teams will make officials aware of uh, and I think make the league aware of and that kind of stuff. So I think on this play... I'm a little bit surprised that VAR uh, maybe didn't question it. Um, but I think going forward, I think that uh, if if similar plays happen down the road in the season for Vancouver, I could see them being being called back. You having can certainly that, see defenders making the most of it. Like, oh, oh yeah, totally. Uh, having said that, uh, I think, yeah, the, the, the delivery was quality from, from Gutierrez. I personally prefer in-swinging corners, so I'm glad to see the yes. left-footed player over there. Uh, I feel they're more dangerous. They're harder to deal with the goalkeeper, and more often than not, they require uh, they require less um, uh, less force to be put in. However, on yeah. this occasion, they, they it was the the ball was met with tons of force from from Cavallini, and yeah, it was a, it was a really really um, really really good finish. And it was it was Mabiala. I've oh. murdered murdered his name twice in the feed and on this show as well. So apologies to him. But I mean, after that. What I didn't want to happen was the Whitecaps to sit back and just like soak up the pressure and try and, and hold on. And to be fair, they didn't because they did try and go forward when they could, but they did struggle to get forward because Portland were really pushing them back in in the half. But I mean, they they survived everything that, that Portland were throwing at them, in part because Portland's delivery all night Set pieces, crosses, it was poor. It's not what you expect from Portland. There's so many overhead passes, passes to the back of the box that were maybe sent in too hard and players couldn't get proper headers on them. All great from the Whitecaps' point of view. And Max Crepeau, and I asked him this after the game, and we'll play some post-game audio in a little bit, if there was any concerns at all about how he's recovered from his injury last year, I think he, he answered that tonight because he, I, I think he was probably my man of the match tonight for the Whitecaps. Yeah, ultra clean sheet. Um, uh, the thing is, uh, the, the, the set pieces and the delivery and everything, and you, th- that was a clear sign that they had issues with them because they took Valeri off. And Valeri was non-existent in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's open play or from set pieces, he was. I think Bikel did a fantastic job on him. I, I have to review the game again. But I felt like Bikel was the one that was around him a lot, and I think he did well. I think sometimes uh, there were points where Tybert would pinch in from the left side, and he, maybe he'd catch him here and there, but it was a lot of Bikel in that spot. I think he did a good job, but allowing Baldissimo to move forward and, and control the play in the middle. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Portland's creativity was really lacking uh, tonight, and that was because Diego Valeri, whether it's uh, getting older, whether it's the second game uh, of the week for him uh, or, or whatever, um, or the Whitecaps marking of him, uh, their defensive setup, whatever it was, uh, he had a very poor game. I agree with you, Steve. And uh, it was it was with them chasing the game and the limited options they have on their bench because their bench doesn't feel – and maybe it's because I'm not as familiar with their players at this moment as I have been in previous years, but the limited options they had on their bench, I was shocked that in, as they were chasing that game that they would take off Diego Valeri. Like it just felt so strange because you felt like set pieces were going to be one of the one of the primary ways that they were going to be able to get back into it. And, 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 up, and even though he wasn't good earlier in the game, yeah. he has a track record. And, and as the game went on and they did have set pieces, you were like, this is really begging for Diego Valeri. And, and the thing is that uh, Stephen Hagan made a mention that he took him off for a center back, which uh, for him, so he there said, was more uh, changes than one at that time. So oh, I'm not sure. No, there was only one sub. There were two subs earlier. Mm, they did, oh, and then right. they did one sub with Larry by himself. So that was kind of odd too. That but, was very odd. Um, but the I think the biggest thing I saw there, um, especially at the end, was uh, or during the whole game as well. You, you could talk about the creativity. Their finishing wasn't very good either when they had chances. Asprilla. Uh, was not good mm. at all, and Lucas Mora, I didn't know them notice him very much. But yeah, but they are missing some people, right? There were yeah. there were there are in their squad, right? They're missing some options, right? So um, off the yeah, bench, Mora, they're, but their starting lineup was basically all there. The Charles were there, yeah, but um, Ebo Bise wasn't there, right? No, like, but they, they were they were coming games. off like that that team, and I know like it's marathon and yeah. it's a different level from from MLS. But what time, what time is it, Michael? It was five past more marathon or Snickers, as as you could also call them. The reason I say that is in, in the UK, Snickers used to be called Marathon, and then they changed the name in the eighties to Snickers to be more with with the American thing. But we always grew up knowing it as Marathon. Don't know, don't know why it was called Marathon, but there, there we go. A little little fun fact for you. We're full of them here at the, on the show, but. Yeah, they, they looked so good on Tuesday night, and that attack was electric. Now, obviously, different kind of team that you're playing against, but I was cons- I was seriously concerned going into this because I knew we had a makeshift defence, and I was a little bit worried about Andy Rose and Ranko as that partnership. Now, there, there were some scary moments, and MDS talks after the game about the defence that it wasn't exactly what he wanted it to be, not a lot of options there until Derek Cornelius can be deemed fit again, though. I mean, that that's that that's the big one. I, I think they need to get him back fit. Or Godoy, which I have concerns, and we talked about this on the last show, about Godoy. And MDS says it is a little bit concerning as well. He just... There's just these little niggles. Yeah. But Godoy what, what... in the back... Like, Godoy and Cornelius, Godoy and Ranko... I feel Cornelius a lot more Yeah. Uh, the thing is with Godoy is it's not even about getting him back to fitness. You just got to get him to fitness because he's never been in fitness in the first place. Uh, so he he's the most concerning out of them. Um, I'm hoping Cornelius could be ready for next week. Uh, but uh, the, yeah, the most concerning part was the Andy Rose at the at the back line. He looked very slow. And I, I, I definitely think there was a there was a lack of communication at times, and that 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 will come. And it's like, you don't want to nitpick, nitpick too much about stuff like that because you got the win. But 
it's the first game of the season. You've got to build on that now. Now, the Whitecaps could have made it 2-0. The ball was in the back of the net. Dahomey tucked it away. Everyone was going crazy. And then I saw the replay and I was like, ooh, that looks like it could be handball. Apparently, it was called off for offside. But I I, I don't know, because the handball, Andy Rose headers it. It hits off the, the Portland Timbers player onto his hand. I don't, I, I know there's a new rule and everything like that. I don't know whether you can class that as the handball or not. But it was just, it was disappointing to get it ruled off because it was another well-worked goal. That, that was the most surprising. The most surprising part wasn't that it was going to be called back, but the reason they called it back. Because mm. I didn't even see Jake Norisky in the picture. When they were, uh, when they were, the, when the ball was coming into the box, so I don't even know where that came from, because all I saw was Rose into Homie, uh, so I'm not sure how, where even I'm, I was even looking back on replays, I couldn't find him anywhere. It was a very MLS call, right? Because like, like, yeah, I, I mean, it was a hand. It was to me, it's a clear handball, and yet they, yeah, they call it back for offside. That yeah. That on a player who didn't really seem totally involved. He wasn't. He, I don't think he even was interfering with the goalkeeper at that point. There was no. No, no it was just as the ball all. came in, he was off, but he had nothing to do with anything else in the play. So yeah, I mean, but it, it was awkward. It, one thing was awkward in the post game when Jake talked about how he, you know he was just doing his job of picking his man. And I, uh, I like that though. That that shows some of the kind of tactical noose that we've not had in the Whitecaps over the years. Other teams do all these little things and we've seemed to miss out on that a lot. I mean, we have done it at times. I think Kendall was hey, isolating. Like... Isolating Jordan Harvey at the back post worked a number of times, okay? <laughs> but like Kendall was a good guy for like taking somebody out in the box and just like clattering into them accidentally and, and stuff like that. We need, we need to get better at that. Yeah, it's, you have to make it, you have to make it not obvious. That's the thing. You have to make it not obvious. You have to make it look like it was part of the run and the you know the mix up and everything. If the referee misses, misses it, they miss it. Hmm. Now, they they held on. I I really thought that Portland would go all held to leather in the closing minutes, but it, there wasn't too many times where you were really worried. Max Max came up good. I I don't know if we've done this in the show before. This this is something that I've always done. Oh, at East Fife, we're doing it on our podcast there, but we used to do it on our on our forum and stuff. We had a three-two-one, where over the the course of the season, for every game, we'd pick three points, the best player, two points, then one point, and then at the end of the year, we would give a a trophy to them. So I might try and see if I can keep this going, and but we'll do it this season on here. So my my three-two-one for tonight, I would be given max three points. Christian Gutierrez, I think, two, and then Cava, one. But we'll go with the consensus. So what, what would you guys go with? Uh, I would give uh, Cripo, uh three points. I would give I would give Cavallini two, and I would give uh, Christian Dahomey one. Yeah, he, he was good as well. Very busy. I, I'll, I'll agree with you guys on Crepo. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you, also agree with you on the second one. I'll give, I'll give uh, Cavallini. I, I feel like the, like the first half, you it felt like he was went missing. He, he wasn't getting the service. He wasn't in the game a lot, but um, he scored that. He scored that goal uh, and did some other things better in the second half. I, my third one, I'm going to give to Baldissimo. Mm, uh, I he thought, had a good I thought, game as well. Yeah, yeah. I I thought he 
he did well to again he's getting an opportunity because there's an injury but he's reminding everyone hopefully including the coaches that he has a role to play uh in, in this team and so um that's who i give my third one to or my one one point to I've pulled up the who scored ratings for the, for the match. I always like to have a look at that. Now, the Whitecaps' average was 6.85. Portland's average was 6.31. Portland only had one player that scored seven, which was the left-back Bravo. Whitecaps had five players, seven or above. Tybert got a seven. Andy Rose got 7.5 on who scored. Max Rapolo only I, got 7.3. Yeah, the thing is with uh, the 7.5, I think it has to do with the fact that he had some tackles in there. And uh, um, I think because of the, the, the clean sheet helps him as well on there. Yeah. Rapolo, I think because maybe, maybe he didn't make it that many saves as he normally would. I don't know. It's, it seems odd to me. Cavallini gets 7.7 as the second best player, and they have Christian Gutierrez as, as the best player with 7.8. Well, they did play a lot up up that left side, uh, which did surprise me a little bit. Like I remember uh, Joe Deasy in the, at the beginning of the game was concerned about the left side, uh, but they were really running it on the left side a lot. Well, like tying in with that, like that's something that MDS told me when I, I had a chat with him, which was basically no matter what personnel is in the team, they want the team to play the same way. And if you look at the last two seasons, Ali Adnan's been the, the leading assister. So it's up the left side. So that's clearly where they see their strength and they want to, to keep that going so that they've persevered with that. Really like what Christian Gutierrez brings to the table. MDS was asked afterwards uh, about the, his chance to shine with Ali not being there. And it's like, it's nothing to do with Ali. It's yeah. like, it's like I, I'm playing Christian because I like him at that, that position. So, I mean, when Ali comes back, it's sounding like he might slot in instead of Tiber on that left left wing side which I'm I'm not averse to because I really like him there but talking at MDS let's just play a little bit of audio post game from him just now just chatting a little bit about the victory and just what he saw from his team in that win against the Timbers Hey there Mark congratulations on uh, a fantastic win just talk a little bit about how you're feeling just now everything that this team has been through in the build-up to this point, the guys that you've been missing, to go and put in a gutsy performance and just have fight like that, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to the team? It means that uh, the, the the message of what we want to be about and the, everybody in the roster uh, is become clearer and clearer. And I think that um, what the guys have been... We always said during the, the preseason... Uh, during the month of March where we had so many players out, we always spoke about the guys that are here have to be ready to play and work in a way to be ready to play. And then we've been working in training and the commitment of the guys in training and the commitment of understanding what we want to do and apply it uh, is there. So it feels good when you're in a, on the coaching, on the, the, the sideline, and you see the guys applying it uh, and, and, and showing what they could be about. Now, I still think there was, and it's normal, it's normal that there was moments in the game where we, we, we struggled. Uh, and that's, I think, perfectly normal when you're 
in the moment that we are as a team and in the stage that we are compared with Portland right now. Just looking at, I guess, one of the the negative aspects, like d- defensively, you were kind of under the cosh a little bit at times, but on the plus side, yeah. you, you dealt with everything that, that they threw at you and the, the speed that you've got with the guys that's missing just now, you talked before about wanting the team to play the same way no matter who was in. And, and I think we probably got that tonight. Yeah, we did, Michael. And that's where I get, that's what, what I'm very pleased with. Regardless who's on the field, we have to have an identity and a way to go about things. Uh, I agree with you. I, I don't think that defensively we struggled uh, until more or less the 60th minute. Uh, there was normal plays here and there, but after the 60th minute, there's plays where we were a little bit stretched. Um, Portland was able to be to play in between our lines. Um, our lines uh, from the back four to the forward started to get stretched and our, our, our block wasn't as compact as we needed to, to, to be. But, you know, I have to evaluate uh, tomorrow how we felt physically also with a, a, a first real game. Uh, I have to evaluate how, how, why at the minute 60, 65, we, sh- we started to struggle uh, but like you said, at the same time, we looked always in moments that we could have been dangerous in some counterattack uh, situations because of the profile of the players we have. And that's the direction we want to go as a club. Thanks so much, Mark. By the Thanks, way, uh, guys, you, you didn't ask me to have a, an opening statement, but, you know, I, I so I'll, I'll ask myself, okay. Hey Mark, what do you you have an opening statement? Uh, because I, I I really want this win. So the Vancouver fans and everybody that is home and not being able to be at a stadium, not being able to be uh, with us. You know, when you play Portland and you win, you you could only remember all the fans in Vancouver, and that that one is for them. MDS there, just chatting a little bit about that that win against the Timbers on Sunday night. Last couple of things just want to talk about. Now, Zach touched on it there, which was the, the defensive blocks, uh, like Andy Rose, it might have been Steve that said that. One of you said that. And there was a lot of crucial tackles in the box. Andy came up with, with a couple of big ones. Christian came up with a couple of big ones as well. It's just they were throwing... Their, their bodies on the line to, to block and, and keep Portland out. And I like that. We talked in our preview show that for this team to do anything this year, I think the attack's electric. I genuinely think it's got one of the potential to be one of the best attacks in the Western Conference. But you need the defence doing it as well. And they, they put their bodies on the line tonight. Yeah, I think the defense uh, battled and fought. Uh, we saw some good decision making. We saw some, you know, maybe not the best decision making, but the thing is, they stuck together uh, and and they got they got through it. Um, I agree with what you were saying before about you know uh, Christian Gutierrez, you know, having a place in the team not just because Ali Adnan is not here, um, 
but because he's worth his place in the team. And that's exciting uh, going forward and hoping seeing him develop. There was that moment in the game where he thought maybe he was going to need to come out because he looked like he had taken a knock or gone down awkwardly or whatever. Good for Canada um, too as well. Yes, so yeah. good for Canada. We need depth at, at fullbacks. We need some defensive options. We need some other players who can play in those positions to free up other players, all that kind of stuff. On, on the on the attacking side of things, um, I think we saw kind of the best and the worst of, of Vancouver today. I think there were spells where they couldn't create anything. Again, especially the first half. There were spells where you're, they were just like the creativity was very, very lacking. And, you you know, if you were watching the, the, the feeds and stuff, you're like lots of comments of like, it's so obvious we need number 10. But then there were spells, especially in the second half. And I think in particular, partially maybe to do a score effect, well, Vancouver was leading, where you saw the interchange and the interplay and the, the chemistry between the front, the front three or the front three linking up with one of the midfielders uh, and some really nice play that that gives the hope that you were talking about, Michael. And yeah, so it's going to be, I, I, th- I, I think it's going to be a, a little bit of both this year for Vancouver. They're going to go through spells or, or within in matches and maybe runs of matches where they're missing that creativity. Maybe, or maybe this will all change once, you know, Kyle comes in and these other players come in. But with this, with this roster currently, uh, for as long as they're stuck like this, um, I think there could be spells in games where there, it feels dry offensively. And there could be spells where you see everything's sparking and everything's exciting and uh, the possibilities maybe seem endless. Yeah, I, I, I like to I agree with you there. I, the second half, and even in the first half, the first half more was like individual um, play that it seemed like people were like the homie and, and trying to move it up. And there was a little bit link up on the left side. On the second half, it, it was back and forth on the right and left. And I, I thought it was more in the wide areas. They still are not able to do anything up the middle, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, hopefully if they keep building up the wide, people will be forced to slide over wider, open up their defense, and they opens up areas in the mid. Yeah, and like that's what you're hoping like Kyle can maybe get himself up to speed soon and, and get into that team. Him and Baldy together could be very, very interesting. Uh, and yeah. then, of course, a number 10 coming in and just whatever that does to, to take Dahomey, Caicedo and, and Cava to that next level. So I'll, I'll just play a little bit more audio now from Post Game. So we'll, we'll hear from Lucas Cavallini. Then we'll hear as well from Max Crippo and Jake Nowitzki. Irina topped this as icon. That was a an iconic performance, you could say, to to start the season with everything that the team's been through, missing so many guys. Just talk a little bit about the spirit and the belief that that this team has shown this week to be ready to play a team that has been playing competitive games and playing so well, and to go out there and get the win. Yeah, you said it. I mean, uh, a lot of belief and courage. Um, I mean, it wasn't the prettiest games that we had. I mean, it's the first game of the season. Uh, Portland has been informed playing competitive uh, games already. But I mean, we're a team, we're a humble team, and we have a lot of, huh, I guess the word is we have a lot of balls. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, I mean, we're always, uh, we're always going to be, be hard until the last minute. The attack, I know we kind of touched on this a little bit during the week. It's easy to get carried away with the way that you guys are playing. 
But the link-up play, even the link-up play with the midfielders, Guti at left-back, it feels like this could be a really, really special unit and something that we maybe haven't seen in Vancouver, maybe in, in the whole of the MLS era. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I mean, today there was two different games, uh, before the goal and after the goal. And uh, usually what we were playing preseason was after the goal. I mean, the link-ups, the, the confidence, the, the possession. I mean, that's that's who that's the identity we need for the season. Um, hopefully, with this win, that can help contribute that for the next game. Cheers, Kava. Cheers. Evening, guys. You're both looking very dapper. Uh, I'm sure very happy as well after that performance. Uh, just from both of you, can you just talk a little bit about just what the feeling in the locker room is just now? With everything that you've gone through going into this game, missing the guys that, that you're missing, home, away from home, everything like that. Just what, what's the mood after getting three points? Yeah, the group is uh, the group is really tight, you know. Uh, the group is really tight. And we know the reality of uh, this group, this organization. And everyone is committed to, uh, to, to work hard, to commit, to show up every day, put the hours, put the effort. And then it shows up on the weekend. You know, yesterday we... Or there are two days I uh, talked with the media and says we're going to be a, a team that is difficult to, to beat because we commit. We commit to work together. And uh, even whatever happens on the field, if there's momentums that we don't have the ball, that we have the ball, whatever happens, we're tight, we're together. And so uh, that's, that's the result of it tonight. Jake, just your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, like you said at the beginning, um, it, it seems like we might have had things going against us we didn't want to look at it that way at all. Um, you know, we've been training hard for, for two plus months now. Um, we may have not had all of our players, you know, Portland may have had two competitive games, you know, before us, they might've come in a little more sharper, but we made an emphasis not to make that, you know, an excuse for us at all. We knew we wanted to come in what we wanted to do. And I think we executed it well and to get three points and a shutout in your first game, you know, it's huge for us. And that's a good thing to, you know, build off some great momentum. I think if there was any doubts from anyone as to, to whether you were fully recovered from your injury, you, you showed you certainly are tonight with a, a string of, of great saves out there. It's It felt the defence was a little bit kind of under pressure at times, but it seemed to cope with, with, with everything that was thrown at it. Yes. Uh, well, to be honest, my hand is back. Uh, I don't even think about it, and that's been months. So uh, since January, there's absolutely no concern I'm back. So um, that's good. And then as a team defending, it's a collective uh, effort from from uh, our number nine, from Kava today to, to me. Uh, the 11 guys were committed once again. And so uh, it's a collective effort. And, and that being said, everyone worked through and, and pull through uh, they cover for each other uh, when we were beat and at some point we we won a lot of 50 50s today so um we gotta work together as a unit 11 men was committed and again again i mean that's the that's a real tough uh, thing to to beat a team when the 11 men are, are committed the pundits, the experts at MLS soccer, a lot of the American media, it's like they haven't given the team a chance this year, despite the, the good additions and knowing what Mark wants to do. Is that something that gets talked about in the locker room or do you just push that to the side? Yeah, yeah you know, I think most of the guys, we, we see that. Um, you know, 
Now, some guys, it fuels it. Some guys don't even look at it. I think, you know, since I've been here, the five years that I've been here, I don't think a pundit has ever picked us to go to the playoffs or to do well. So, you know what? We come out today. We beat the team where all these guys are saying is going to be the MLS champion, going to be the Western Conference champion. We come out. We play really well. We play really strong. We get a shutout. And, you know, we could have had two goals. Um, I think it just shows how strong this group is and how strong it can be you know, when we have everybody here. So it's something that, yeah, it's in the back of our heads a little bit, but we just need to make sure that we're doing what we need to do on the field, you know, from the training pitch. So, yeah. Thanks guys. So a very happy Whitecaps locker room after that 1-0 win over Portland in Utah. A lot to build on. A lot to take into next week's game. It's a Canadian derby in Florida after a Cascadian derby in Utah. TFC are the opponents and we'll be talking about that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is the latest song from this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN, from Washington DC, a band from the 90s, Blast Off Country Style, and that was the first song from their 1994 EP, What Gives, that was All She Wants To Do Is Ride Her Bike. So we talked about the the win over the Timbers for the first kick win, another first kick win. The Whitecaps do do really well in their first kick games on the whole. It just kind of hit me this weekend that this was the first season opener that we haven't been to. Because the other 10, they've been at BC Place, we've been there in person. It it just felt weird and it kind of really hit home as to what, what you're missing out on and especially when you're seeing around the league and there's this fans in attendance at so many of the grounds. Scarily so in, in some cases, as in the Inter-LA Galaxy game, that definitely kind of gave me a little bit of anxiety seeing how close everyone was packed in there. But it just shows you what you're missing. It's just such a shame to, just to miss out on that. Yeah, getting together with everybody, finding out what their, you know, off-seasons have been like and everything like that, and seeing the fans in the stands with, you know, you know, obviously there would have been a TIFO um, to open up the season, flags, a lot of flags, 
Um, it, it, it's something that you hope for, um, but you can understand why what didn't happen in this place, especially what's going on right now. It's actually probably at this point more danger for the people coming in uh, than the people living here uh, at this point. So it, it's something that hopefully it's a one-off season where, well, last season was, but I'm talking about this first kick. Yeah. It's a one-off situation where um, we won't have to deal with this again in the future. Uh, when your season kicks off, it's a special special day for supporters. They haven't been together in a long time. This this year would have been an extra long time for supporters to get together uh, in their sections uh, and support. Uh, obviously, Vancouver, it's a unique situation because last year, uh, after one home game, and, and then obviously the season, you know, no other home games taking place. It was the beginning of a of a new era in the supporter end at, at, at BC Place with the, the the unified general admission section. So um, yeah, we've never really got to see that in in full flow yet. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see you know how things develop in, in this part of the world and what the what restrictions allow and what they hinder and when things can allow for people to be in the stadium and how many and where and physical you know physical distancing and all all these things they'll shape what you know what happens but yeah i, I you know reading some friends posts you know uh peter congratulations peter re-elected as president of the southsiders uh, shane g uh was elected yeah. vice president and stadium ops guy but you know peter post you know he's he's down downtown outside bc place and he's like i'm so happy that you know beating the timbers but he's like i feel a little bit i, I can't remember the word he used but feeling just a little bit cheated no, but a little bit different because he's like I, I oh. feel like feel like I did I contributed nothing to the game, oh, uh, whereas you know when you support you feel like you contribute something, um, and so yeah, just strange times, but uh, yeah, we'll get through this, and you know one day uh, hopefully things can get back to normal where we can have football stadiums in all part of North America uh, with supporters supporting in in all the awesome ways that they do. I mean, I, I tweeted out one of my pet peeves as commentators keep saying, oh, it's just a shame that there's no fans here to see it. We we realise that. You don't need to keep saying that by now. We know it's a shame that the fans aren't there to see it. That said, it was a shame that the fans weren't there tonight to, to, to see it. But the players did talk about how they, they had their families in the stands, which is great because it is kind of adding a bit of, of atmosphere for them. And the, the players just seem... Oh happy just now just by having their families there it's just a, it feels like sure. a whole different atmosphere in the group well, especially considering what they went through last year hmm. um my only thing about the commentators is i was surprised that you know when vancouver scored the goal they didn't ask like how tfc was going to get back in this game yeah. that was my biggest surprise about that i thought that, they would that'll, have that'll probably come next that. week well, that seems like a, a good segue into to talking about the next game that's coming up for the whitecaps so a great win against Portland. You've got to build on that now. Now, when I saw the, the fixtures come out for this first spell of games, if we look at the first four weeks, I, I was concerned knowing the players that were going to be missing, knowing the issues, the fact the number 10's not here, everything else that went with it. I, I was a little bit apprehensive as to where the points might come from. I was maybe hoping that Montreal might be that in week four that would, would be the the team that might be the, the easiest one to get for a win. So we've already got the first win out of the way. TFC now look like they could be the the easier of the two Canadian opponents that the Whitecaps are going to face based on how they played on Saturday, which might be a one-off. It might be an anomaly. We might get a whole different beast coming up on Saturday. But Montreal took TFC apart in a 4-2 win 
that was more comfortable for Montreal than a, a two-goal scoreline suggests. They were two goals up by 24th minute. Mason Toy scored in the third minute. Romel Kyoto, a great run, showed a lot of pace, showed a lot of skill and a sublime finish. I mean, to finish from the angle shows what a skillful player he is and I, I don't think he gets a lot of credit for, for what he what he brings. The commentators said, oh, basically, like, fast and used his bulk to get the goal. There was a lot of skill in that goal. And then TFC pulled one back eventually from the penalty spot after one of the worst penalties you will see this year from, from Iro. And it was the first time that I can remember seeing the penalty taker not retake the penalty that gets given. I don't, I really don't remember seeing that. Yeah, it was a good decision though, because it was it awful. was it was awful, and obviously the team manager or both felt they didn't have confidence for him to do better on on the retake. Mont- Montreal then just went off in the second half because you thought, oh, is TFC going to come back into things now? How's things going to be? And you thought, oh, they'll come out in the second half, all guns blazing. But it was Montreal that did that. Wanyama made it 3-1 in the 54th minute. Mihailovic made it 4 in the 71st before Larea pulled a late one back. Mihailovic set up by Eric Hurtado. Yes, his first assist as a snowflake. But it it was a very comfortable win for Montreal. Now, TFC could say we're a little bit tired and leggy from the the game midweek, but they did also make some changes from that game as well. Montreal pressed TFC throughout and I think that's the way the the Whitecaps can look at that and think they can get a lot of success it kind of plays into how they like to play what, what did you make of the, the, the game and the performance for, first of all Zach from from TFC and, and from Montreal yeah I mean Toronto they made changes from their team that played midweek in the Champions League uh, I was surprised looking at looking at their lineup I was just like oh this is this is way way younger. It just doesn't feel like a like Toronto right now. And I know there's injuries and people are out. And you know, Josie got injured in whatever the first leg. Um, well is not playing. You know, so they're missing some. They're missing that some of that high end uh, talent. Um, so yeah, when I saw their lineup, I was like, oh, okay, this could be you know more interesting than I thought. Um, and and Montreal, yeah, you're right, came at them. Toys strike, really great strike. He's a guy that he's really hard on himself. He would like even after his performance yesterday, he was talking about, oh, I should have had three goals. The team's one four two. He scored his first goal for Montreal and he's still being hard on himself that he should have had a hat trick. But that that's good. You you want a guy that's gonna kinda push himself and challenge him, himself like that. But I mean they, their attack it, it's looking it's looking better without Thierry Henry, the striker, than when he was here. You, you saw from Montreal what Henry was wanting for his team all of last season and didn't get. And but we'll talk more about Montreal be, before we, we play them in, in week four. I just want to finish this a little bit off by playing some audio. I jumped on the Montreal post-game call. So I'll play you some, some audio now from Wilfried Nancy, Mason Toy and Jordi Mihailovic. For me, the fact that my team was able to show what they are capable to do, 
this is for me this is my victory so today uh, it's been great in terms of what we want to do with the ball so again we have to work on to work on some a uh, couple of things again you know but uh, i'm happy because it was the plan was to uh, to defend with the front foot defending with this mentality that i have to insist and, and this for me this is very important and they did it and uh, because they did it i enjoyed that so it's a good step for 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 the next uh, and the future game do you feel like you've kind of proved the doubters wrong with a 4-2 win Listen, the critics, this is a, you know, sometimes critics could be good also. So the way I see critics for me, like I told you in the, in the past, you know, everybody can talk about the team. Everybody can talk about what they, they see. And uh, me, I stay focused on what we want to do on the pitch. Every day we work on a, about uh, some, a lot of uh, concept of play. And this is the objective. So critics today, it's, uh, it's positive for us because we won. But uh, maybe in 10 days, it's going to be the opposite. So again, we stay focused on our vision and the way we want to move on. And this is the most important for us. You came out very strong, very aggressive on the front foot. Was that in part because you knew Toronto might be a little bit leggy after playing midweek? Or is that just how you're wanting your team to play this season, to come out strong from the very first whistle? No, this is our vision. We want to come front foot. So it's going to be, we discuss about that. This is the way I, I believe. And this is the way also that the player believe. So we are all on the same page. And, uh, and again, we want to, uh, to defend with the front foot, but we know also that sometimes it's going to be difficult to do it. So the player has to understand that when we're going to be lower, they have to be composed also. And this is the objective. But, uh, but every game is going to be like that. That's why I'm happy to get uh, a lot of players because uh, we can make a rotation. Hi Mason. Th there were times last year where the team just didn't look like it was clicking offensively and I, I know it's just one game, you don't want to get too carried away, but did it feel different out there today? Has it felt different this pre-season and if so, in what way? Um, yeah, I think uh, just this year the way that, that Will, Will's had us um, play um, and then the amount of training that we've done um, as a team in terms of how we want to play, how we want to keep the ball possessed, and how we want to repress as well and defend. Um, Will's done a great job of just letting us know our roles, our positioning, um, what he wants from us, and then giving us the freedom to go out and do it. Uh, he's not a, a big, big yeller. He just kind of gives us, um, you know, a plan of what he wants from us, and then he lets us go out and do it. So, uh, yeah, and then also off the field, you know, we have, we're a really close group already, um, and we haven't even been together that long, so I think that helps as well. But, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's early days, but um, this is definitely a, a positive, a big positive for us moving forward. Hi, Jordi. Congratulations on a, a good win and a, a good performance. A lot of the, the media haven't really given you guys much of a chance this season. Is that something that you talk about in the locker room or do you just push stuff like that aside? Uh, no, we don't talk about that. I mean, uh, like, I, like I was thinking about before, if the media wants, wants to say those things and they're so certain, then why don't they put their money, money where their mouth is and bet against us and see how much they're going to make or lose? But um, it's one of those things where the locker room doesn't, doesn't bat an eye towards. We know um, how good we can be, and it's the, it's the confidence within the group that's going to bring us success or failure. And as of right now, the confidence is, is really through the roof. Um, 
we can't let it get too high because we know um, it's just one game, one one game out of 34. And all our, all our focus should be now towards uh, the next game against a really strong team. So that was some thoughts out of the Montreal camp. It was a, a very good opening weekend for Montreal, a fantastic opening weekend for the Whitecaps as well. But but TFC, Steve, are they going to be a wounded animal? Are we going to see a different beast? Uh, I, I think it will be a little bit different because of the fact that TFC is not worried about a midweek game. Um, so they will have that uh, disadvantage taken away for the next game. Uh, they'll probably be able to play a full lineup. And they will have uh, uh, something to look at for the Whitecaps as well. Because a lot of these teams, they haven't had very much tape on them. Um, nobody really knew what Montreal was going to come out as. Yeah, they didn't uh, play any preseason games. So th- in this case, they they have some tape of what the Whitecaps are trying to do. But of course, with the Whitecaps, you, you might have some changes to the lineups too. Although I don't see MDS making too many changes. That I don't, I don't see making any changes. Uh, and Steve, you're right. Uh, oh, sorry. Any changes unless any of the, the, those kind of newer guys... Yeah, are if Kyle or Gasper are good to go, yeah, you might see them. In. I don't think they will be there. If they don't, if they don't start, you can see them coming off the bench for sure. But um, the other thing that I think is a factor in this is that, yeah, you, I, I like what you're talking about in terms of having tape to watch. Uh, a full week of rest, I think, is big. But also, they don't have to travel for this game. This game's in Florida. Mm. So if Vancouver has to travel from Salt Lake to Florida, I think that yeah. will play... Uh, play a, uh, not play that a, big a, a not there, not that big of a travel, well, but it is something. No, but it, I mean, TFC is playing at home. I think, yeah. you know, they're home, quote home, unquote. Yeah. And so I think that that'll benefit them being able to just to stay in Florida all week and get ready for the. Well, it might have been the uh, I like the advantage that the Whitecaps had a little bit. We saw that a little bit of this game too with the, um, you know, training in uh, Rail Salt Lake in the altitude and everything. That probably played a little bit of advantage to tire out Timbers. And I think the the heat and the humidity will assist TFC and yeah. yeah, it was very well. hot this weekend. There, they had all the games in Florida were, were having hydration breaks, and that's one thing. Did you hear anything about uh, from the timber side of things of them having you know the the altitude playing an issue? I assume most of their well, not all, but I, have, I haven't actually had a chance to read their their post game quotes. Yet, okay. I, 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 I wouldn't order. think Savarese doesn't strike me as like the kind of guy that. No. that kind of uses something like that as, as an excuse. But yeah, weather could factor into it, tiredness. Whitecaps, they've got a, a less day's rest, plus they'll have a travel day. So, I mean, there, there's things like that that's going to come into it. And there wasn't many subs used tonight because it, well, it, was, it was a horrendously young bench in terms their, of all, MLS terms. All the starters played 90 minutes, essentially, because all the yeah. subs were done after the 90-minute mark. One thing I hope we do get better is the camera angle because I know it's obviously going to be TFC if it was, it was Montreal's home game. That, that was horrendous. I, I, I've tweeted about this. We talked about it on the live stream. I just want to mention it again. It really felt like I was watching a FIFA computer game simulation and the players were so small. It was hard to work out who was who. They need to improve that or Montreal games are going to be tough to watch this year. But what what do you think? What, what's your predictions going in, into next week? Too early for me, but I see TFC bouncing back. I don't see them losing two games in a row to start the season. Um, I think they will probably get a victory over Whitecaps. Yeah, I, I agree with Steve. I know uh, I was calling for doom and gloom for Vancouver today against Portland. 
Um, but yeah, I also see um, Toronto um, kind of getting more back on track and uh, and getting a victory. I think it'll be like a close game, though, like a two-one or three-two kind of type game. I'm going to go with a one-all draw. I, I fancy the the Whitecaps to be buoyed by by what they did and and just to take something from it. TFC are going to want to bounce back. They're not going to want to start two two losses on the season. Or already folks going to be like saying, oh, they've, they've dipped since Vanny's left. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to see how Montreal follow that up as well. Just to, to round off this part, quick little bit around the Western Conference. Houston beat San Jose 2-1 on Friday night with a horrendous miss from Chris Wondolowski. Surely you're not going to see a, a worse miss than that this season, guys. Miss of the year should retire now. <laughs> He's That's lost it. I, I, the, the thing that was more interesting for me with this game was Tab Ramos and, and seeing him get the job done. Obviously, Wando should have got an equalizer, but um, I can't remember. has Because uh, he was on, I think he was supposed to be out of contract, but apparently he's back. Uh, Bonnie Garcia, mm. he was playing center back next to mm-hmm. Tim Parker in this game. Am I right? That's, I think he was, yeah. Which, that seems like weird. I don't um, know if it's because it, they had injuries or folk missing. Yeah, or what, what, but... what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I hope for Tab Ramos. I hope for a guy like Tim Parker. They're able to uh, move forward because they've always had great attacking pieces. And I think Tim Parker, I don't know about Bonilla Garcia, but having Tim Parker could be someone who could help solidify their defense and really help them return to the heights that they had when they moved from San well, a lot of these teams. Like, why I hate them. But. I, I, a lot of these teams go for the big center back, uh, like the physical center back with the ball-playing center back. And I guess Buddy Garcia is a ball-playing central midfielder. So you just move a little bit back. For Houston to do well this year, they need to get their defense sorted because their attack's electric again. Yep. And they, they look really good. Other game on Friday night, Seattle, we touched on it earlier, took Minnesota apart 4 0. Couple of goals for Rudy, Rudy Diaz, Freddy Montero, a goal and an assist in his first game back with the Sounders. Minnesota's defense was all over the place at times. Christian Rodan kind of ran the show for me. At, for, for bits and Jao Paulo probably has the, the goal of the weekend an absolute screamer also want to give a, a shout out to Dane St. Clair the Canadian keeper from Minnesota who saved yet another penalty I mean Freddie already looks like he's going to be a, a key player for Seattle off the bench great experience to bring off the bench and with Jordan Morris missing as well I wouldn't be surprised to see him having one of his best seasons for, for years it was a nice finish from the Colombian, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, the opening goal was, I think, the goal of the weekend um, for the for the way he controlled it and hit it on the volley. That was was that was quite something else. It was a uh, I mean, there was a, if you go back and watch, there's a lot in that game. There's a lot of exci- exciting moments in that game. A lot of good football in that game. Yeah, I don't. I, I know you guys are talking about how you chose Minnesota to come top of the West, and this is kind of discouraging on that front. I don't think that this is you know. This game summarizes who Minnesota is. No, and I think I think they were in it until maybe the last fifteen minutes when things sort of you know ended up sort of falling apart. But yeah, um, but my concern my concern is not with Minnesota uh, finishing the West. I, my concern is Minnesota ha- with Seattle being in their head, uh, like being rent free in their yeah, head. Yeah, that, that's a couple of games now. They they seem to have some kind of, and if they get to jump over that, then that's good. Uh, Montero definitely has motivation to have a great season he wants that two-year contract 
Um, so I think he, I think he's got great. I think he might just have a good season, but early days, anything could go wrong for any of these teams. Seattle could miss. Honestly, anybody could miss the playoffs. Oh yeah, uh, with with the right number of injuries, you know, cross your fingers. Uh, but uh, yeah, anything could go wrong. Or I would be shocked if the Flounders missed the playoffs for, for the first time ever. Yeah, I, it's. It's a thing though, like MLS, it's like it's so up for grabs in the West this year. And it's like even these opening day results, there's been a couple of, of shock wins from what the, the pundits and the experts on the, the website said. Now, Dallas and Colorado, we had both of them dropping out of the playoff places. They played out a horrendous, horrible game. Nil, nil you, you were watching Sporting Kansas City, I was watching that game. It was so oh, bad. I. I quipped that there was just over 8,000 fans there in Dallas, which I still don't know if that was the the normal crowd that they had in or if that was from COVID regulations, but we'll keep an eye on that. Well, let's... Kansas City came back to beat uh, New York Red Bulls 2-1. All the goals in the second half. Some big players on the bench for KC in this one. Toledo and Russell came off the bench late on, but... They, they did what they needed to do. And when they went one down, I thought, this is going to be a bit of a shocker if if they come away with that, an opening day loss. But they, they look the kind of team that, that we expect. And again, it'll take a little bit of games to, to get them going. But no no big surprises there that, that KC have started strong again. Do you, do you know why those guys didn't start? I tried to find out. I don't know. Because Lucio um, was like in the middle up front. Yeah. And I read the post game quotes, and there wasn't really anything in it as to as to why. And I, I didn't think Russell had a knock or anything. Maybe it was just it could be fitness. Yeah, could be could just be, fitness. Uh... Could be. LAFC two 0 win over Austin. A comfortable win for LAFC. Austin showed spurts of what they could be. I think it's going to take a few weeks before we really see them. They're obviously now still looking for the, their first goal as a club. The big talking point, we've got to talk about Carlos Vela, though. Mistakenly getting taken off in the 22nd minute. Mistake by Bob Bradley, held his hands up. That could have cost them. And I, I asked Josh Wolf after the game if that changed his game plan mm. a little bit. And he said, yeah, it, it kind of did. Because you plan all week to be facing Vela, and then he goes off. And then they had their best spell after that. But then LAFC basically took over in the same half. Yeah, the uh, it, that was an interesting moment. But I think the the goats too, LAFC. Their I think their keeper made a couple of really big saves in this game to like keep them in it and then keep them in the lead and uh, and to see things through. And so uh, I think they owe him uh, they owe him a lot of gratitude. Just talking of Austin, just play a little bit of the post game audio from Josh Wolf. Just talking about what this meant to him getting this game out of the way even though it was a loss, and just a little bit about the match himself. You know, I think LFC had a good quick start, and, uh, but we came into the game pretty well. I think once we settled in, we, we were able to do some things offensively and challenge them and push them a bit. Um, and, and it was fairly back and forth in the first half. But I, I think this will help guys. I think uh, we have a lot of new guys in the league that, that aren't familiar with what the style of play is in our league, the tempo in their adaptation and then um, from the playing side of it, we, we got a lot to work on and we're a young team we're right in that um, infancy of, of, of our existence and um, I think there's there are certainly some things to be proud of and certainly some things that we need to work on but um, good experience all in all I think for the whole group obviously disappointed after this but a, a lot of positives to take from it 
you've spent the whole week and weeks leading up to this, knowing who you're playing, trying to get your game plan. With Vela going off so early, did that affect anything? Did you have to change things on the pitch? Because you seem to enjoy your best spell shortly after that. Yeah, I think, I mean, clearly when, when he is out there and Ross is out there, there's more, um, you're certainly more conscious of the balance while you're attacking. So you, for me, the idea would be to take a little bit less less um, offensive posture when we had the ball. So we had fullbacks pinched in a little bit and just to make sure we had some cover in the back because those guys can transition and they're extremely good. So I'd say when he went out, uh, we started to have a little bit more of the ball. We also got a little bit further advanced with, with our fullbacks and our wingers getting in, in different spots. So um, that, that probably led to it, but we could have done much better. I think, uh, again, he's, he's, he's a quality player for him to be missing. Um, we, we probably could have maximized that a little bit more from, from an offensive standpoint, but um, they're a good team. They're still a good team without Bella, and, um, you know, they're well coached and, and they performed well today. Talked about the emotions of beforehand. Um, now that you actually played it, what were the emotions like for you as a coach for the first time in the MLS, and also just the emotions of, of leading this this franchise into its first ever match, regardless of the outcome? What was it like being there for this historic moment? It's it's exciting. Um, it's you know you, you get into a bit of your own little game mode in your head, so you, you you get pretty dialed in on on communicating to the players and staying focused on what's at hand and. Um, you know, so you don't get caught up with, with the moment and kind of what it really is, because it is an exciting moment. The first time this team is, is playing uh, a game in its existence, it's on national TV and um, we have a number of new players to our league. And it was, it was exciting for a lot of reasons. And, and obviously the result didn't go our way, but, uh, you know, hopefully there's some, some quality in there that, that makes the fans excited and, and we'll continue to get better. I mean, we're, we're, we're young in our existence, but, but we have, big ambitions and, and we're hungry to improve and um, we will push that certainly this coming week and, and the many weeks that lie ahead. So Austin FC head coach Josh Wolf there just chatting a little bit about his side's first game. When will they get the first win? Maybe next week we'll find out. They are on the road they don't play their first home game until June when they get their new stadium. And the last game featuring a Western Conference team that we'll talk about, because RSL didn't play this week, Sunday afternoon, biggest game of the weekend, according to Phil Neville, absolute bollocks, that should have been Philadelphia, Columbus, although that was 0-0, maybe didn't live up to my hype for that. But the Galaxy won 3-2. It was an interesting game. I guess the big talking point coming out of it is Chicharito got back on the score sheet, touched on this in the watch along, he spoke about his mental health battles and just not being a robot and the pressure on him. Like We criticised him last year. I, I said I didn't think he had what it took anymore. Two goals doesn't mean that, that he has, but it's good to see him back. It was good to see him speaking so openly about that. And I'm actually rooting for the guy now after hearing him being so, just, so, so raw and open talking about that. I think we do expect guys that's done it in the past to always be performing at the top level. You think of like Zlatan, he's a guy that keeps doing it and if the Galaxy are going to do anything this year, they need Chicharito to be scoring. He's got two so far. I think we talked about this in the, in the, the YouTube session, but um, I, I really think this game came down to uh, Greg Vanny outcoaching Phil Neville. I think the, Phil Neville uh made a mistake when they were up 2-1 putting on Frederico Frederico Iguain. I don't I don't think that that was, that was 
I don't know, out of sentiment, uh, maybe for his, you know, get him, let him go play with his brother at the first game in the new stadium. I think that was a, a very wrong substitution for that moment in the game. And then they end up losing. And I think, I think he got coached by Vanny. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you look at like Houston, Vancouver, the Galaxy, teams that didn't make the playoffs last year, getting off to a winning start. This is going to be one hell of a battle in the West. I mean, it, it usually is. This is going to be close, and this could be the closest in terms of like first to ninth, tenth. I think that that we've seen for maybe ever. All separated by three points right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. This Miami uh, LA Galaxy game, with it being the Prince Philip Memorial Derby, uh, it was a huge game. A lot of emotion on the pitch oh, and everything like that. Beckham so, wouldn't have been able to concentrate. Yeah. So you can't expect too much from Inter Miami. They're still my pick. Uh, for the Eastern Conference. Yes. Surprising. Yeah. I mean, the, the only result that matters, of course, is the Whitecaps won 1-0. They're joint top of the West. That's what we're going with. That is our MLS roundup. But we've got a lot more still to come in the show. And we're going to be back with a very interesting chat after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFT Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it was a song from a, a band we featured several times on the show, particularly in Wavelength, Welsh band Flyscreen, and that was the B-side to their 1997 single, She Smokes, She Drives and Writes Poetry, and that was a cover of the wonderful Pink Floyd song Bike, from the Piper at the Gates of Dawn album. I really like that version, and since I thought I, I played off blast-off country styles, all she wants to do is ride her bike in the last part, I thought I'd keep the bike theme going for this part. Bikes, of course, are very good for helping you keep fit and getting a good training regime in. I'm sure the bike work is done a lot by the Whitecaps down in Utah just now to kind of get their fitness and, and get their stamina up to the levels that they're going to be getting an advantage by being down in the altitude in Salt Lake City. But just what kind of advantage does playing at altitude give the team? What kind of work has it taken to kind of get them used to playing at that? What do they need to do there? Do they need to do training sessions different? Do they need to live their lives a little bit different? It's something that, that really fascinates me, that side of sports science to, to do with those things. So for our feature interview this episode, 
going to bring you a chat that I had last week with the Director of Performance Strategy, Research and Innovation at the Whitecaps, Dr Ben Sporer. Ben's been with the Whitecaps since 2014 and he's probably never been busier than he has been for the last two years, just with everything that went on with COVID last year, planning everything for people doing training at home, to being socially distanced training, to being down in Florida, then being in Portland, now being in Utah. Just so many different aspects have gone into the role of getting the Whitecaps at their best fitness-wise, performance-wise, mental health-wise for, for the last two years. That I was sure it was going to be an absolutely fascinating chat with him about all of that, and it certainly was. So go put the kettle on, make your favourite hot beverage, grab your biscuit of choice, and enjoy a chat. With Dr. Ben Sporer. Thank you so much for doing this, Ben. It's I'm fascinated by by this side of the of the sport. Mm-hmm. Just I guess just to start off, how challenging has it been for you and the team, the medical team, the physical fitness teams? This last year, just with everything that's been thrown at you, going to Orlando, going to, to Portland, being away from all your stuff at, at, at the, the training centre, stop starting with a couple of pre-seasons basically in, in one year. Just talk a little bit about the challenges of all of that. Yeah, it's a good question, Michael. Like, I think um, I think it depends on who you ask on this, to be honest with you. like um, You know, we have a great team. First of all, I'd say that, uh, that are really adaptable, um, very skilled individuals that are able to adapt to the environment you have. But when you're working in pro sport, you have a very consistent environment for the most part. Um, so the biggest challenge I think would be is just the lack of continuity of regular sort of support. And when I say that, it's not that we don't have support for the athletes. We actually provide them support year round. It's continuity of the environment which makes it a bit more challenging for the athletes. It makes it a bit more challenging for the staff at times. Um, but all that said is I'd have to say I'm really, really quite happy and proud of the way the staff have been able to adapt to that and provide a, a very high level of support for the athletes throughout the year. Um, I don't think it's been easy for anybody. I'm not going to sit here and say COVID has been easy. It's not. Um, I think one of the things that comes, uh, depending on the perspective and the lens you come from, like when you have, a challenge faced with you, um, quite often it's based on your previous experiences, how you address that challenge. Mm. And, you know, I myself have worked for um, a long time in Olympic sport, multiple sports, moving from location to location, um, trying to make do in environments that may be in the third world country or wherever it might be. Um, And so you become very accustomed with learning how to adapt to a different environment and still deliver the level of support with you that you need and I think we have a pretty good team across the board that either have had experience in that or in the leadership roles who have had experience in that working in Olympic environments that are able to adapt to that and so I think that's been one of the plus sides to our group this year to be able to support the athletes as we could Um, but it has been a challenge for sure without a doubt like you know you when you start throwing in lockdowns in different countries uh, yeah. that athletes can't train in the off season in some countries, whereas other places they can train fully and, or you have to have quarantines. So you have athletes sitting for two, you know, seven to 14 days in the room. How do you help them stay fit? And then they have to get into a training environment or they're going to a national team camp and then they come back for another quarantine. So those challenges are 
are uh, they're real. But I think uh, overall, we're we've got a positive attitude, and the team's worked really well in managing those. I guess the big challenge this year is you're now preparing the team and doing regular training in altitude. So mm-hmm. it, it's something very, very different. My, my team in Scotland are a, a small team called East Fife, but a couple of the guys that's played for them have also played in MLS. One of them played with RSL, one of them mm-hmm. played in Colorado. When I interviewed them, they both said it was the fittest they had ever been, mm-hmm. but it took them a few weeks to be yeah. able to run without like doubling over and catching their breath and think that they're going to have a heart attack. What kind of challenges has this altitude environment posed for you? Um I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good question. I think you highlighted a couple of key pieces when you go to an altitude environment. So Salt Lake City isn't a very, very high city in terms of altitude or training. It's, it's a moderate altitude, okay. um, but it's real. You'll feel the impacts on it. And the time frame that you suggested is, uh, is about right. It's anywhere between, you know, seven to 14 days for people to adapt to that. You know, part of the reason we went down earlier was to take that time to adapt to that and knowing that we were going to have to have some players stay in quarantine while there. And just by being present rather than just training, you start that adaptation or acclimation Mm -hmm. process, as we call it in physiology. So, um, you know, overall, I think it's one of the things we've had to adapt to. But when you throw it into a relocation, uh, new homes, um, all these other factors that are coming into play, and it's not where you're in the unknown time frame of how long we will be staying there, that adaptation, I think, combined with the altitude has been more of a challenge. Um, but I'd say as a whole, the club has handled it really, really well. And I think the club's done some amazing steps to make that adaptation and the acclimation um, much more readily. Uh, it happened more, more rapidly. Right. I, have, have you had to draw up like different kind of training regimens that, than you would if you were in Vancouver? Like, is there a better time of day to train? Do they have to take more fluids in, like before, during, after? I mean, how, how does all that kind of aspects of it work? Yeah, great question. So first of all, one, we, we sort of planned out our transition to Salt Lake, not just on the time that we were there, but what we did prior to going to Salt Lake. So we heavily loaded the players up prior to our departure. So they would naturally have a bit of a recovery week coming out of Salt Lake before we played our first game. Um, we did a lot of our work in Vancouver. So it allowed them to recover better than rather than arriving there and then having to do a lot of hard work and mm. recovery at altitude before you're acclimated can be a little bit more challenging. Um, definitely hydration is a big piece and getting all the comments from the players and staff is my nose has never been so dry or I, I feel like I'm always thirsty and it. And reality is education is an important part. So our staff are constantly regularly advising guys to stay hydrated, um, even staff as well. So it's not just players like decision-making uh, when you're dehydrated or um, decision-making when you're not fueling properly for both players and staff is important. So it, we do it across the spectrum. It's a regular education process of making sure we're providing reminders. Um, sleep at altitude usually mm-hmm. takes uh, a bit of time to get to that. First three or four days can be a bit of a challenge for sleep for some people. So our loading in those first three or four days isn't going to be really excessive. So we plan our loading around that to make sure that you know, as we loaded right up to where we we're leaving to prior to our departure, we're making sure that those first three or four days when people are acclimating a little bit better, we're not going to put excessive load that they need to recover at night because sleep's an important part of recovery. So we do do some sequencing around that for sure. Absolutely. Okay. I, 
this might be a trickier one for you to answer because I guess it's kind of tied in a little bit with, with tactical side of things, but it is also medical because I, I spoke to the goalkeepers and they mentioned that when they've played in altitude before, they notice that the ball moves different and mm-hmm. they have to kind of adjust their body for that. For an outfield player, especially say one of the fast guys up the wing like Saicedo or, or Dahomey, are they going to have to kind of adjust their body differently to be able to do those bursts of speed and everything that they're used used to doing? I know some of them are, are from countries with altitude, but do they have to approach how they play differently on the pitch? Probably be lying to you if I said, here's an absolute answer to it. <laughs> because I, I think it's going to be a very individual response. So right. one, I would, but what I would say is that what we know from athletes, athletes are incredibly adept and skilled at uh, adjusting their neuromuscular or movement strategy relative to the demand that's placed on them. So when they get fatigued, they actually, just in a game in itself, to get the same output, they adjust how they actually do their movement or their strategy to get the same output. So they're very adept in doing that. And so you might experience that for the first couple of days, but over a period of three to four days, you would have that adaptation pretty quick. Um, when you when goalies speak to how the ball would move differently. Um, so when you go to a game, when you go to play there, a one-off game, that's gonna be more of a prominent issue than if you're going to stay there and train there. And so after a, a week to two weeks of training there, you'd start to see that you're adapting to that process a little bit differently. I mean, last year was a, a year like no other. We're hoping <laughs> we're, we're coming out of things that's, I know with the team it's been difficult because there's a quarantine period and you've got players coming in from different countries that have to quarantine for, for different times as all the been the visas issues and stuff like that. So working with the guys that's not maybe been late joining the team or guys like Ali that are still back in Vancouver, how challenging has it been to draw up specific player, individual player training regimens to kind of get them to the level that they're going to need to be when they do eventually join the group? Yeah, it's another good question. And this year, like no other, it's been more of a, a big jigsaw puzzle that's being put together, right? It feels like every day there's another adjustment that needs to be made. But I think if, you know, the thing I'd sort of make a comment on is that our our primary philosophy at the club um, is, is we do individualized programming on a regular basis regardless right yeah. now. So everything that we do is around, obviously we have a team component to how we prepare athletes and we, we know which athletes need to have what type of physical requirements to play their position. But all the day-to-day programming and supplemental work is always being done on an individual basis. And so the challenge, what we're seeing right now though, is that there's some restrictions and limitations that we're not used to, which is like a quarantine for five days or a quarantine for seven days for one player or individual training allowed for one player, but not for another, or depending on which country they come from. So there's all these different mixing pieces that you've got to juggle. And and to be honest with you, we have a great team of people mm. with everybody's just stepping up to fill those roles where we need to fit gaps. And so even staff from our academy are helping out to make things work for, you know, in with Ali being back in Vancouver. So we've got people working with him here. And we've got people working with different, going down early because we have national team players arriving before our team does into Salt Lake. So we have staff there early to work with them in advance. So it's really a big mixture of different pieces working together, but a lot of people stepping up to fill those holes around our philosophy, which is doesn't change really at the end of the day. 
next thing basically kind of ties in with, with what you were saying there about the national team guys. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of Canadians on the team, as well as guys like Ali that will go off to play with Iraq. Now, these guys, they're going to be going back and forward so much this year between club and country. They'll be learning different training regimens. They'll be having different tactics. They'll be having different mindsets. How easy is it for a player to go from one environment to another and be able to just click back into what they're needing to do? I'll, I'll, t- I'll give you an example. I think, um, again, I, I, I'll say it depends because it really does depend on the player. I think it depends on a couple things. Their time with each of those clubs, their time in our club in a tactical process or in a training process, their time with their national team, how often they've been with that process. If they've had more time and exposure, and this is like any sport, um, their, their ability to adapt and, and flip between the two is much more rapid. Right. I think when when you don't have a lot of hands-on time or you're new to a club or, and this is for any player, um, that transition time takes a little bit longer. So it's easy for me to say it's a blanket statement, but I think that would be incorrect that it's, there's some players that will have no problem adjusting. They're professional. They've been doing this for years. They understand the model of play that uh, Mark's trying to play out. They, They understand the national team model of play that they're playing out. It's just a matter of where they are, and they can switch between two, two quite rapidly. For a young player, that and not anyone specific, but as an example, a young player might have a bit more difficult time coming into a new team, trying to learn a bit more of a tactical approach, and then um, having to go to a national team and then learn a different tactical approach. It's it's a variety of different strategies that they're having to take in all at one time. So their capacity to take in might be a little bit more challenged versus someone that's had a lot of experience in those prior prior formations. With the stop-start nature of last year, and I guess kind of continuing into this year, because there's also going to be the breaks for international duty that, that's coming up at various times of the year, did you notice more injuries because of that and the number of games in a, a short period of time and just getting up to a level then having time off and then getting back up to those levels again yeah like it's again it's um i think it's in some situations you'd say yes i would say yeah you know we're more prone to injury when you're fatigued like that's a simple fact we know that um however i do believe that you know as a club our perspective is about making sure people are ready as often as possible and as ready and so we prioritize how we load relative to how we recover. Now, when you're playing, call it five fixtures in a period of 14 days, it's really hard to play 90 minutes five times in 14 days. There's going to be fatigue and you have to learn to accept it. So our goal is always to build as much uh, robust and resilient athletes that can tolerate the volume of games that we want. Um, As a coach, uh, you know, Mark's going to be making sure that he has a squad management relative. And so our job as a as a medical and sports science or a performance team is to ensure those athletes are as readily available for what Mark needs. Um, but it does become a challenge and we just start to emphasize a little bit more on recovery in those really dense fixture times for sure. But injury wise, I would say for our club, you know, when we look back at, um, and we didn't unfortunately get the, the, the stats on injuries from the league last year. So there's a bit of a mum, uh, jumble, but, um, from our club, I think overall, we were quite happy, even though we had some timely, not timely injuries that might have occurred last year as a whole for the dexter of the schedule, 
uh, we were quite happy with how we addressed a lot of things, especially in fixtures that were really dense. Interesting. I mean, I don't want to hark too much back to my team in Scotland, but the way that in Scotland they've tried to cram all these games in to end the season once they could get back to playing again. So mm-hmm. my team played seven games in 15 days and they're yeah. part-time players. And I yeah. expected a spate of injuries, but amazingly there hasn't been. I mean, the more you play, does that maybe make your body just get more used to it? Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting. I have a... Um, I have this discussion regularly with our staff, and one of the things that I keep I keep challenging our staff on is I believe that our our, our uh, football players have a greater capacity to tolerate load than we think they do, um, both physically and mentally. And I think that um, when we challenge them to environments and we build the capacity at a rate that would be reasonable, so they have time to adapt, that you'll see uh, a, a fairly robust, resilient athlete over time. As long as they're not having issues which may be predisposing them to injuries, sort of um, whether you got some sort of uh, misalignment or a weak hamstring on one side, we, we always do an identification and screen on those. But um, there is something to be said about what you're you're seeing in your team back in Scotland is that there is a there is an aspect of when you build up a resiliency over time, as long as that buildup is not too rapid or it's in a timely matter, or you have a great load of strength and resiliency and fitness coming into that fixture, you can actually sustain a fair amount of load over time. What you're probably seeing as well in that situation though, is you're probably seeing a greater emphasis on recovery between games rather than training between games. And that would be coming yeah. the, the guide of load management. You hear that term used a lot these days in, in sport and it's something that's been done forever, but it's, it's got a, a bit more of a buzz to it right now because of the tools that can allow you to calculate load. Um, but good load management will undoubtedly help you manage your overall risk and exposure. Now, last thing. Yep. There's obviously been, we know about the physical challenges that the last year's posed, the mental health stuff. We've talked about that a lot on our, our show and that's obviously an important aspect of it. This year, though, you've also got the vaccination aspect. And Mark kind of touched on this in one of his recent press conferences that you guys are looking closely at the stats as to when the players can get vaccinated, the best time for them to get vaccinated so that they're not sluggish immediately after that. Do you have anything to share about that? Like, when would be the optimal time, do you feel, for a player to get vaccinated before the game just to make sure there is no side effects from one of these vaccines? Yeah, with respect to timing, I mean, timing, we, we would work, we're working with local health authorities when it's the appropriate time to get it done. And obviously, you know, if there's an option on a timing relative to a game, we would not necessarily want to do it within the, the 24 to 48 hours prior to the game time. And I think that's, that's just a general, um, not specific to this vaccination, but in anyone in case someone has an adverse reaction where they feel a little bit tired or sluggish or fatigued. And so if we were going to, when the opportunity presents itself, we'll likely schedule it several days before a game rather than, or shortly after a game, rather than within the two to three days prior to a game. And that to, as a general rule of thumb, um, we would do that with anything that's new vaccination, new nutrition strategy. We try trial it before we ever moved it into a game. We would understand how it impacted our players before doing something within that. We call it the performance window is 48 hours in is really when we start to enter a performance window for a game. We don't want to introduce anything new in that time. 
That's great. Thank you so much for, for no your, your time today, Ben. I've really, really enjoyed our chat. And yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Have a great day. Dr. Ben Spore there talking all things white caps, performance, training, sports science, health and general fitness. I hope you found that as interesting as I did. I really, really enjoyed my chat with Ben. But certainly seemed to pay off in that first match. The white caps looked sharp, they looked fit, they didn't tire. You do wonder how much the, the altitude maybe came into play for the Timbers with them having played midweek and travelling to that as well. But but you also have to give the white caps credit for putting in a solid, strong performance in that 1 0 win. Let's hope they can keep it going in the heat of Florida next week. But that is it for this part. But we'll be back with a chat with the man of the moment, Sunday night's game winner, Lucas Cavallini, after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kipo from the Vancouver Whitecaps, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Have you heard that new track by Sheep on Drugs? Yeah. Motorbike. <sighs> Too cool. Yeah. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio. And kicking off this part, I've kept the bike theme going. Motorbikes this time, that was a song from 1992. Very 90s feel to our our music on the show this episode. English techno-industrial band, Sheep on Drugs. That was their second single, Motorbike. All about going for a bike ride at the weekend with Jesus as your sidekick. Something a little bit different? Let me know what you thought of it. So we're into the final part of this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. We're in the home stretch after a very busy week of podcasts. This will be the fifth podcast that we've brought out in the last week, along with Sunday's live watch-along on YouTube. I'm sure you want a break from hearing me chat. I know I certainly feel like I need a break after doing all these shows. But we've still got lots more to bring you. In fact, we've actually got way more to bring you than we're going to put into this part. Because I was on a a number of calls that MLS put on last week. And I want to bring you some of the audio of that in future shows. That's going to be kind of around refereeing, concussion protocols, MLS competition practices, just loads of things. So we'll bring those to you over the, the coming weeks. It's material that's not really going to go out of date, so we we can keep it for a a less busy show. But I want to continue the the Whitecaps chat now by bringing you a little bit of audio with the the guy that I described as the man of the moment, Lucas Cavallini, match winner on Sunday in that 1-0 win for the Caps over Portland, in a very rich vein of form just now. 
Started against the Cayman Islands where he got a hat-trick. Continued that into the Whitecaps pre-season. Scoring the first goal of the the pre-season against Real Monarchs. Following up on that a few days later with a brace against Chicago Fire. And then taking that excellent form into the MLS season proper. Getting that winner on Sunday against Portland. So I got a chance to to ask Kava a couple of questions midweek. Let's bring those to you just now. Hey Kava, good to see you again. Last year for pre-season, you were doing well, you were kind of flying and then we never really got to to see what, if you could take that into the regular season because of the disruption. You've done well pre-season again. How important was that camp and the January camp with Canada to getting you at the levels that, that we've seen? It seemed to you seem to shake a little bit of the rust off between the first and the second Canadian games and you seem to be flying now. Yeah, as I said, I'm feeling really good uh, physically and mentally. So hopefully I contribute a big role for this team this year. Uh, I mean, hopefully the consistency will, will be there as well. Uh, I mean, now that uh, there's a plan for us, hopefully there's no no more like... Uh, suspending games and stuff like that, you know, changing the routine of the season. Uh, I mean, I think we're going through a good direction right now. Everything's going the right path that we need. So, I mean, the big thing is consistency, right? Um, and of course that our families are close by to us. And I mean, we, we have everything we need off the pitch and all we have to do is just focus uh, on soccer. Last year, we saw the good partnership that you had building with Christian you're continuing it in pre-season. You've got Diber now kind of in the mix as well. Can you just talk a little bit about how it's felt playing with with those two? Because you definitely seem to have the chemistry right away. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I know it's only been such a short period of time that we've been together. Um, but, I mean, right away we we adapted with each other and we gelled back to being with each other. I mean, Daybar is a new guy, but he seemed to fit in perfectly and... I mean, they're two talented players, two uh, fast, quick players that we need, and that, that's going to help this team a lot. So um, hopefully this year is going to be much better. And I mean, yeah, uh, obviously with the, the newcomers as well, it's they're going to add a, a more, more of a spark to the team as well. Does it feel a bit different this year? Obviously, you're in different surroundings, but knowing that your family's coming knowing that there's been improvements to certain aspects of the team, there's going to be a number 10 coming in. Does this feel a different Whitecaps team to you already, to the one that we saw last year? I mean, uh, of course, you know, uh, I think the club uh, wanted to to provide the, the team with more more players, uh, especially in key positions. So, uh, I, I mean, anything to make this team better... Uh, I mean, we're already in the right path. Uh, we just, I know, have to be 100% training together, uh, which eventually that day will come uh, due to COVID restrictions and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's it's life nowadays. But, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I know that there's, they're going to add some more players to this team. So it's going to be good. And I'm really excited for for what, what we can uh, show this year. That's great. Cheers, Kava. Good luck to the season. Thank you. Cheers. Lucas Cavallini there. 
As we kind of talked about in our, our preview show for the Whitecaps season, it feels like this could be the first season that we might have two double-digit goal scorers since the very first Whitecaps MLS season in 2011. Eric Hasley and Camilo hit double digits that year. It's been a long slog since then. But I, I certainly feel in the form that they're showing, Kava, Christian Dahomey could be the two guys to do that. I know it's always easy to get caught up after a win, get a little bit carried away, but I am genuinely excited by what this Whitecaps attack can do this year. But that's it for the Whitecaps chat. That is it for the MLS chat for this episode. Want to finish this show off, though, by just touching on the big, big talking point of the week in terms of global football, well, European football. That is, of course, the new proposed European Super League, the breakaway league of 12 of the big clubs in Europe, six of them being in England in the Premiership. Now, football can be very divisive of supporters, Where I come from back home, you love nothing more than to hate your rivals, to hate your rival supporters, and just all the banter that goes with that. There's certain things in football, though, that that unites the the supporter community, unites the world of football. It's usually, sadly, something like a tragedy, the Heisel disaster, the Hillsborough disaster, the Bradford fire. It could be something political, as we saw in the UK in the 80s when the Thatcher government wanted to introduce ID cards for football supporters. In modern times, it's more like social causes, Black Lives Matter. Players, clubs, supporters taking a stand against issues that really matter. And it's always good to see football coming together like that. And the aftermath of this announcement of this come together, roundly oppose it, Issue statements left, right and centre. Clubs are issuing statements. Presenters are issuing statements. Players, managers, the governing bodies. Everyone seems to be against this. Leaving the 12 clubs themselves looking very, very much isolated at the moment. It's been a fast-moving, fluid story. First broke on Sunday morning. We talked a little bit about it in our live watch-along for the the Whitecaps-Timbers game on Sunday. I've put together a couple of minutes of audio of us chatting about that towards the end of Sunday's show. So let me just play that for you just now. So it's myself, Steve, Zach, Joe Deasy from the AFTN Preview Pod and Stephen Agin from Radio Cascadia. But, like, just quick... Quick thoughts on it. Let's start with you. What What's your thoughts on that as a Man U fan? Well, okay. So I, I, when I was looking at this, I completely dropped my United fan uh, hat for this. At first, I had the same reaction as most people. Like, it's kind of gross. That It's kind of a power grab. But then, I guess what I'm still trying to process is every tournament that we kind of like at some point was a power grab. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a tricky thing to... Yeah, because I know like, when the Premier League started, it was like, oh, it's the big teams just wanting to control everything. And now folk act like the Premier League's always been there. Yeah, and like the Champions League, they change the rules for qualification all the time, right? Like England used to have a playoff spot, now they have four spots and the smaller teams, the smaller countries have to go through four qualifying rounds to get in, that kind of thing. Like, I, I don't know. 
it, it also in the statement that the league put out, they said it would be a midweek competition. Yeah, because initially when it broke this morning, it was making it sound like they were just leaving all the domestic competition and they were going to have this breakaway league. But it seems to be that if the FA and all the governing bodies don't sanction it and they go and do it, then they'll have walked away from the domestic competition. So this will be the only league that they play in. But what I'm kind of wary of is people like Sky Sports, for example, in the UK, coming out saying it's a bad idea. Of course, they're going to say it's a bad idea. They're protecting their own interests, right? Well, yeah, because aren't the zone kind of behind it? I saw today. Frankly, it is pretty clear that it doesn't suit the interest of small clubs uh, in any of the countries involved. And uh, I just have, I'm sure you guys have all read this, but from the end of the New York Times article that came out on the piece today, there's this quote from the Football Supporters Europe group, who I, uh, excuse me, that I thought was was um, pretty spot on. Uh, they not only called the idea illegitimate, irresponsible, and anti-competitive by design, they also said, more to the point, it is driven exclusively by greed. The only ones who stand to gain are hedge funds, oligarchs, and a handful of already wealthy clubs. The European Super League, Michael, I'm with you. I miss the old days of legitimate European Cup Champions League where you had to have won your league to get into it. I miss uh, having the Cup Winners' Cup where you had to win a cup to get into it. Mm. And then you had a UEFA Cup, you know, to have a, a competition for other teams that place high. I don't like I don't like how the Champions League has changed to just uh, keep big clubs in it um, or... Uh, I, I don't like how they I don't like some of the changes they made. So I, I'm not for this. I know Bayern is expected to be a part of it. They're not a part of the initial thing. Their supporters will come out against it in the same way, uh, to the same effect of what Stephen just read. So that was some of our chat from Sunday's live watch along, just covering the, the Super League. We had so much to cover in the two hours that I wanted to delve into it a lot more. But we're running out of time towards the end of the game, so that's why that was so brief. Wanted to delve into it in a little bit more detail in this show as well, but we recorded this on Sunday night after the game, after all the post-game stuff with, with the Whitecaps. We were all pretty tired by then, so we didn't want to go into too, too much detail. But as I had mentioned, it's a very fast-moving story, and we will cover this in more detail in the next show, next Sunday's show, episode 446. 445 being the preview show that we should have out midweek. It's just a horrible, horrible situation that just shows the greed of these big teams, of those associated with it. The owners seems to be very heavily driven by clubs with American owners. Pretty sure the the Asian market is also keen to see something like that. All the betting that you've got over there. Little snippets keep coming out here and there. The big news on Monday, which is when I'm recording this this section of the show, is that the clubs involved have signed a binding agreement with JP Morgan to provide the funding for it. That sounds like they can't walk away from this deal. So you've got FIFA and UEFA saying that they will not sanction this league and that any of the clubs involved will be kicked out of European competition. There's chat that on Friday... UEFA is going to meet and the clubs that are still involved in the Champions League and the Europa League are going to get kicked out of that competition. Now, could be a lot of just kind of posturing, brinksmanship, just to see who blinks first, see who backs down, just to kind of rattle sabres, chest bump with each other, just to kind of show that they're in control of this situation. 
Or the worst case scenario, it's going to be an absolutely massive split. These clubs are going to get kicked out of that. The Premier League is meeting on Tuesday, so we'll see what repercussions it has for that. Realistically, they could get kicked out of the Premier League if that happens. What starts off as being a, a new proposed midweek league only could end up being the only league that these clubs play in and they're going to be isolated. UEFA and FIFA have threatened players that play for the teams in this league will not be able to play for their countries, taking away the chance of them to, to represent their country at the Euros, at the World Cup. Will it get to that? I kind of hope it does. I, I kind of hope that UEFA and FIFA don't back down. I don't see them going to. It sounds like the clubs are already readying their, their core applications to fight this. Because they obviously knew what the reaction was going to be, so they're well prepared for this. I'm sure they've got their whole legal argument drawn up. But for me, this is everything that is wrong in modern day football. On the watch along, I wore my Against Modern Football t-shirt. And it's easy to be kind of dewy-eyed and romanticise football of the past. Because there was a lot wrong with football in the past. And you look at modern day football and there's a lot of great things that's come out of it. The fact that the game is now truly global. I can sit in my living room in Vancouver on a Saturday morning and watch a live East Fife game. During the pandemic last year, I watched live football from the Faroe Islands. The quality of the coverage has got better. The amount of the coverage has got better. Players have arguably got better. There's a lot more skill involved. Tactics have advanced. But at the heart of everything... In countries where the game has been around for over a hundred years, football clubs are part of a community. Now I know you don't see that a lot, maybe say in North America, that same vibe isn't there because the game is new here, the game is growing here. But football means a lot to supporters here, the way that it means a lot to supporters around the world. You look at a club like Liverpool, like Man United, they came from working class roots their supporters built that club. Bill Shankly, his famous quote that football is nothing without the fans. Fans seem to have become second, third, fourth rate citizens in terms of decisions getting made in the game. You've had these clubs and the folk behind this plan talking about they had chats with all the necessary groups that were involved. And for that, they're basically meaning the clubs themselves. TV companies, the finance men, not supporters, they're the main thing in this. And it's just great to see everyone unite. It's great to see supporters of the six English teams saying, well, that's me done with it then. But the danger is, these clubs have got so many people that would be just dying to get in to watch those matches. Folk from overseas that go over and support these teams and get to all these games. They'll make more money. Whereas a league like MLS is very dependent on gate revenue, these teams, this league, is not going to be dependent on fans in the stands, bums on the seats. They're going to make more than enough money from sponsorship deals, from the betting, from finances, TV, everything that's getting ploughed into this new Super League. I hope they do break away. I hope it fails. Because it's a closed shop. I know they're leaving the door loosely open for some other teams to go into it. But if this existed years ago... The best example for me is Leicester City. A small, in relative global terms, provincial club, came good, won the Premiership. Yes, 
with a lot of Asian money poured into it. But it was a story of a team that was on the brink, players that were in non-league like Vardy, coming good, coming through the ranks, winning a championship, getting into European competition. All that is taken away from these other clubs if this goes ahead. And the most telling thing for me in all of this is of the six clubs, only two of them right now would be eligible for the Champions League next year. Has that driven this further? Are they worried at missing out on their big share of the pie that they've got? The rich are getting richer. The new revamped Champions League that was announced today is also farcical in my view as well and really only helps the bigger clubs. Football needs an overhaul. For me, European competition died when the European Cup died. A competition, as we touched on there in the watch-along, where only the champions took part in it. Cup winners took part in the Cup Winners' Cup, thus making the Cups way more important. The UEFA Cup existed for everything else and the other teams that qualify through league positions. Who knows where this story is going to be by the time we bring out the next episode of the show, but we'll delve into everything a lot more in episode 446. Good to see Bayern Munich though come out today and say that they're against it. PSG are against it as well. Let's see the next few days take us with this. So, yeah, sorry I went off in a little bit of a rant there. But let, let's bring things down a little bit. Let's finish this episode off with this week's Wavelength. Now, I was going to be playing this song in the show anyway, but it's never been more apt. It's from a Toronto-based band. The band are Kiwi Junior, originally hailing from Charlottetown, PEI. They recently signed to the famous Sub Pop Records. But this is a song, the title track in fact, from their debut album and with everything we've just been talking about, about this proposed European Super League, the money involved in football, the money that players get, this is their song called Football Money. Yes. 
Toronto band Kiwi Junior there, football money, all about everything you could do if you were a footballer and getting paid those big bucks, that football money. We certainly know that's what's driving the game these days, it's sad to see. Thankfully, we still have things to talk about that's not driven as much by that. And as an East Five supporter, I'm glad to support a small team where it's actually about the community and we actually feel like we have a family. But that is it now for tonight's show. Just before we go, guys, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapSpeed. You can find me back on Twitter at ZacharyAM. I'm Michael McCall. Give me a follow on Twitter if you're not already at AFT in Canada, on Instagram at AFT in Soccer, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFT in Canada, we need to get to 1,000. We're hovering now around the 400 marks. So we've got a long, long way to go in terms of subscription numbers. So please subscribe and turn on notifications. That way you'll know exactly when we go live on the channel with our future shows that we're going to be doing. We're still sorting out what we're going to do next weekend. I don't think we're going to do a live watch along, but we might do a live post-game show. We're definitely going to do a recorded post-game show of some kind. Joe will be back midweek with a, a preview show, hopefully. I'll have an interview that I'll hopefully splice into that as well. And if you want more watch-alongs and you're listening to this show in time, check my Twitter account, AFT in Canada, on Tuesday. We're going to be doing a live watch-along of Decision Day in Scottish League One. East Fife need a draw to get into the top five of the split and then fighting for the championship in a playoff place doesn't matter that you're not watching the game just watch along with us have some fun i don't know what channel that's going to be on yet so as i say check my twitter for that but that is it i've done enough ranting i've done enough rambling in this part i'll let you all go now so until next time as always thank you so much for listening and the support really really do appreciate it thank you to everyone that listened to our five podcasts this week hope you've really enjoyed them we'll be back soon take care stay safe and mourn their caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.